The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of James, uh, chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page number 1075. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11, and it reads, Be ye patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waited for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until it re he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. Uh, we want to join in wherever we are and begin our journey to heaven. And if we can meet you where you are and help you in any way that we can, we'd love to do that. One of the ways that uh, we're trying to do that right now is in the beginnings class that started Wednesday night. It was a great success. If you've been baptized in the last year or so and you would like to be a part of the beginnings class, uh, it would be a blessing to you and it's a blessing to us. We love the opportunity uh, to encourage each other. We also want to be reminded of a couple announcements of last week. Uh, again today and probably even Wednesday night, we'll continue to collect goods from the agape, the baby shower. Uh, God has given the sanctity of life and we want to honor that. And one small way that we can be a part of that is encouraging mothers uh, to value the sanctity of life and then also to help the babies and the adoptive families. And this is one small way we can do that. It's neat to have even heard from a family of this congregation, how you've thought about adoption in the past and, and now you're, you're ready to think about it more seriously again. And that's exciting to us. We appreciate so much each of you families that shared your stories with us last week. The, the comments have just continually poured in. Uh, I, I think about one young lady that said, you know, I'd never thought about the beauty of adoption like that and I'll never think about it again the same. Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful story the story of adoption. That's what all of us want. We want to be adopted into God's family. Also, you remember that the Womack family, they are adopting a baby. And if you want to help them with those expenses, uh, I knew both of these as teenagers, taught them in Bible class. And I can tell you, I don't know of a young couple that's more dedicated to Christ than this couple. And so the idea that there's a soul on the other side of the world right now that has an opportunity to be raised in such a strong Christian environment, that's something worth supporting. And if you would like to give a little bit for that, you can make your check out to the Mount Julia Church of Christ in the air market for the Womack adoption. And that'll be a great blessing for them and especially for the soul uh, that sometime over the next four to five to six months, they ought to be uh, going to China and, and bringing back their daughter. What a blessing that'll be for that little girl. You know, the last couple of weeks, we've seen two stories that have taken over the news. And by no means do I intend on going on any of the details this morning. I don't need to. You probably know the details better than I do because that's what's on every newscast right now, it seems. But when we think of Lance Armstrong, we think about a story 
a story unfolding. And when we think of Manti Teo, we think about another story that has unfolded. And then I'd like for you, if you will, to go back into your mind to the very first Sunday of this month and of this year. And I shared with you the idea that every story is made up of key ingredients and that what I want you to do in your life is I want you to not like remember at the beginning of the year, I said, I'm not asking you to make a list of New Year's resolutions. I'm asking you to think about your life and what is the purpose of your life and will you find a meaningful life and not just living a list of lives. If you will, go ahead and f go to that slide of the story. The I'm sorry. We're, this lesson is going to be from James, by the way. There you go. All right. Now, as, as we think about what makes up a good story, I just did that so you'd stop staring at the screen and look at me. All right. As, as we think about what makes up a great story, a great story has a character in it and the character has some kind of ambition. They know who they are and because of that, they are incited to incident. They are going to get up off the couch and they're going to do something. Now, what they're going to do is going to have a climatic end. There has to be something of worth and of value, but we're in life and real life comes with conflict. Sometimes we bring that on ourselves. Sometimes Satan brings that to us. Sometimes just the life that we live in the world that we live on brings that to us. But, and tonight we're going to capitalize on what should we do with conflict as we think about endurance. But this morning I want you to study with me as we look at our, our mailbox series. You have received a letter. That letter has not come to you in the mail. It's come to you in the form of God's holy word. And we're studying through James. There are bookmarks scattered throughout this auditorium. If you've not yet picked up one that does look like this and has the mailbox on it. We can read and study together and we'll continue usually on Sunday nights. Today we'll do it all day long and then on Wednesday nights study the chapters that we're studying or at least something out of those chapters. And so as we think about what is it that God wants us to be and what is it that he wants us to do? When we scan down James the fifth chapter verse 7 through 11 is capably read just a moment ago. I'd like for you to notice that what we see reoccurring is the idea of patience or endurance. See there in the seventh verse, be patient. And look deeper into the seventh verse and waiting patiently. And look in the eighth verse, you also be patient. Let's drop down to verse 10 where he talks about the prophets. He says, suffering and patient. And then in 11, he says, blessed who endure. And then he says, have you heard of the perseverance of Job? Now, if you'll back up a slide, now look and, and notice how this endurance is going towards something. Notice at, uh, in the middle of verse 7, it's the coming of the Lord. Notice in verse 8, it's the coming of the Lord. Notice at the end of verse 9, the judge is standing at the door. So in other words, this character that we learn in the 7th verse and the 8th verse and the ninth verse is to be you. It's to be me. This character is to go into action, living toward the climatic event that there is the coming of the Lord. And the problem is there's going to be a lot of conflict along the way. And James writes this passage and, and, and we're going to see tonight that he illustrates it well. We'll look at one of the illustrations this morning. But what I want you to see is really what he is hammering over and over is he's saying, I'm talking to you, you. Are you going to be ready for the greatest event? The coming of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. The judge is standing at the door. Okay, I want to be ready. What do I need to know? Endure, wait, persevere. 
Listen, the lesson today will be very simple, but it is so important. If we take our eyes off the coming of the Lord, our story is not going to be what should be written about our life. We're going to have an eternity to regret that we lived a different story. This morning, I challenge you, I invite you out of the American culture of immediate gratification, and I ask you instead to look toward a life of true meaning, a life that says, I'm not worried about how I can feel right now. I'm not worried about seeking happiness right now. My greatest ambition will not be moved by moods. My greatest ambition is a lifetime commitment that when the Lord comes, I want to be ready. I want to meet him. I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's go back and let's look at the first example, which by the way, you see here, that is the farmer. If you go to the next slide and tonight we'll go and look even deeper. See there in verse 10, the next example was the prophet. And then in, in 11 and 12, then 11, the example is Job. So what he does is he calls us to this faithfulness all the way into the coming of the Lord. And he says, let me give you an example. I want you to do it like the farmer does it. I want you to do it like the prophets did it. I want you to do it like Job did it. And we learn about different types of endurance by all three of these stories that he shares with us. And so now, let's look for just a few moments back at the farmer. Let's drop back to James, the fifth chapter, and verse seven again. And notice there in your Bible, therefore be patient. That's what he's saying to us, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. But there's a period there. Even though it's the same verse, now he's going to say, let me give you an example of this. So he says, see? In other words, he says, are you noticing this? Let me give you this example. Do you see it? See how the farmer waits. Waits for what? the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the late rain. Now let's think about what is the ambition of this character? Well, the ambition of this character, if you will back up a slide, I misled you with that, but, but let's think about the farmer for just a minute. What, what, what is the ambition of the farmer? To be a farmer. Now, some of you here, that's just an intellectual fact. There would be some here that would say, I know that ambition. I remember with almost tears in my eyes and butterflies in my stomach walking across a foreclosed farm when I was 17 years old. And my greatest ambition at that time in my life was to farm full time. And I tried every way possible to try to figure out how to buy that farm so that when I graduated from high school, I just go into full time dairy farming. I walked every foot of the 300 acres. I spent nights trying to calculate how could I buy that farm. To some of you, that doesn't make any sense. But to any of you that love farming, you know what a farmer wants to do. His ambition is to farm. The land is part of the man putting his hand in the dirt is what he wants to do. He wants to get up early in the morning. He wants to go to bed tired at night. It's just what farmers do. And so he says, let me talk to you about a person What's the ambition of this person? The ambition of this person is he wants to farm. And you go out and you see him farm all day long. And he comes back in and you say, 
Where's your paycheck? He said, I, I didn't make any money. Instead, I spent thousands of dollars today on seed, thousands of dollars on fertilizer, but I didn't bring in any money. Wow, you're weird. You mean you do something without bringing money in? Well, at the moment, I do. So next week, you see the farmer out working. He comes back in again, tired at the end of the day. Where's your paycheck? I, I didn't receive a paycheck. You're telling me you still haven't received a paycheck. No, I haven't. Why are you doing this? My reward's later. You ask him week after week after week for 50 weeks. Where's your paycheck? Don't have one yet. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't do what you do for a living. I want something now. I want to work five days and I want to get a paycheck. I want it now, now, now. That's not farming. Farming, we're satisfied with once a year when that precious fruit is produced. Why is it precious? That crop that comes in, that's the livelihood of that farmer. Is he going to take care of his family for the next 52 weeks? It depends on that crop. But you know why else it's precious? It's precious because you also benefit from it. If every farmer in America decided to just take one year off this next year, you'd probably starve to death and the world around you would. Precious fruit. What is James doing here? James is saying, do you get it? I want to show you a character that is ambitious. He goes into work day after day, day after day, not for immediate gratification. He has this precious fruit in mind. And what he does is notice, he uses two words here. He says he waits, and, and it, even in the Greek, it's two different words. In, in English, we have wait and we have patient or perseverance. And, and so the word wait means that, that you look with expectation. And the idea of perseverance is long-spirited. In other words, you say, I'm willing to suffer now whatever I have to give up labor-wise, whatever I have to suffer in pain. I'm willing to suffer now and I'm willing to suffer for a long time because I know what I am waiting to receive. I'm waiting for that precious fruit. Too oftentimes I'm afraid that we think that when the Bible talks about waiting, it means crossing your arms, sitting down and doing nothing. Now think about that again. That farmer is getting up before daybreak and he's going out and investing a lot of money and he's investing a lot of backbone and a lot of energy. And the Lord describes it as waiting. What's that farmer out there doing? He's working so hard. What is he doing? Waiting. What is he waiting on? He has the expectation that that precious fruit is going to be uh, produced one day. Now, I don't have a slide for this, but I'm going to guess that when I use the word waiting and talk about scripture, that there's probably a favorite verse that comes to many of your minds. I want to read for you real quickly out of Isaiah, the 40th chapter. And I want you to think about this that has the beautiful description of waiting. And I want you to think about it with the appreciation that it doesn't mean that we sit and do nothing. It has everything to do with looking forward with expectation. God is going to do his part. Let's do our part because then we can long with expectation because we know God is faithful. 
Isaiah, the 40th chapter, verse 29 and following, talking about God. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Have you ever felt that way? It felt like I just can't go on. My life, there's too much happening. There's too much hardship right now. I can't go on. God says, I can give you power. I can give you strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up their wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Who is it that when they feel like I just can't go on anymore, they find the strength to go on? And the answer is those who wait upon the Lord, those who look with expectation, God is coming again. The judge is at the door. And so with that being taught to us, we see that when we do, on the next slide, ask the question, what is your ambition? How does that affect you? What is your ambition? And your spiritual life that affects all of your life, who are you? What gets you up off the couch? And when it gets you up off the couch, what are you moving toward? Can you honestly say this morning, I live every day in view of the Lord's second coming. And everything that I do, I am a character that lives a life enduring because I want to meet the Lord at his second coming. Well, who are we if that describes us? You see here in James 5 and verse 7 again, who does he call us? Therefore, be patient, brethren. And you read down just a few verses in verse 9, and what does he say? Do not grumble against one another, brethren. Who are we to be? The character that we are to be is that we are to be brethren. In other words, we are to be sons and daughters of God. We are to be a sibling with Jesus Christ himself. We must understand who we are. And my fear is that we grasp this idea of the brotherhood and we see it only on an earthly level and we say, we are brothers and sisters and we're waiting. And, and that's, that's good. It's important that we understand that the church is here and now and that there's a great importance now to, to find my place in the body of Christ. But do you realize that the reason we want to be a part of the body of Christ now is because the body of Christ is moving toward the coming of the Lord and it's going to be the saved, the body of Christ that hears, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And as even I wrote this lesson, I thought to myself, how many times have I preached to you and have I emphasized all of the earthly aspects of the church? But maybe I've not emphasized enough that the whole aspect of the church is to be moving toward the second coming of the Lord. Who is the church? The church is made up of a brotherhood that is moving toward the second coming of the Lord. The church is made up of people that they get up every day and they are incited to action. And action that perseveres, endures, waits with longing, has expectation of hope that the Lord is coming again. On this next slide, we're not gonna take the time to look these up. It would be a great sermon within itself. 
But when we think about what it means to be brethren, that is children of God, and you know, last week we touched just a little bit upon the fact that we are adopted in Romans the 8th chapter, 15 and 16, Ephesians the 1st chapter. Those teach us what it means for us to be brethren. It means that we are adopted into God's family. Also, we learn that if we are brethren, we are submissive to our Father. Matthew the 12th chapter and verse 50, Jesus made it very clear that his brethren will submit to the will of the Father. And there's going to be prayer on the part of the brethren to the Father, communication, Matthew 6. He says, you go into a closet and you pray to your Father and even taught us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In the provisions of the Father, in Matthew 7, 11, if the earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more so would the heavenly Father know how to give good gifts? And even the discipline, Hebrews 12, 4 through 11, we see very clear teaching that earthly fathers discipline their children if they love them, and that the heavenly Father no doubt will discipline his children to move them to holiness because he loves them. And then even just the concept of family. In 1 Timothy 3 and 15, the church is called the house, the family of God. Matthew 23 and 8, we are called brethren. Listen, when we think of who are we? I know it's easy, especially for some of us to think about our occupation. And, and we say, that's who I am. Or maybe we think about a sport or a hobby that we enjoy and we say, that's who I am. And you realize that those things are not the great story in your life. Now, they may be a part of your story. But who you really are, you are a soul that has been made in the image of God that is going to exist for an eternity somewhere. And what if you can honestly say, I see myself every day in every way as a child of God. And so I'm going to move toward the coming of the Lord because I want to spend an eternity with God. And so me knowing who I am, a child of God, moves me into action that is toward God. And when difficulties come and conflicts arise, it's not going to sway me off course because I know where I'm going, because I know who I am, because I know who my creator is. And it's a beautiful cycle that the Lord teaches us. And so we say, what is the climatic event? And we've already said this probably 10 times in this lesson. But on the next slide, you see those three times again in James 5 and 7, the coming of the Lord. In 5 and 8, the coming of the Lord. And then in 5 and 9, where he says, and the judge is standing at the door. Now, when you think about that judge standing at the door, what is he saying about the coming of the Lord? Well, it's real clear in the first two. He's saying that the Lord is coming again. But the third time he refers to it, he refers to him as a judge. In other words, he will be the one that we will answer to. And you remember, we're going to give an account for everything that we've done. And now notice the judge is where? A long way off. He's so far off, he can't even hardly see us. It'll take him forever to ever come back. Oh, no. No, the judge is at the door. Go back in your mind to your childhood, and for some of us, that's a ways back. But let's go back, and you imagine being in, in a room with one of your siblings or a friend, and, and you imagine <clears throat> that uh, you know, you're bickering with them, and your mother comes in and says, hey, 
I'm telling you, one more time, and this is what the punishment is going to be. No more fighting. And so your mother leaves, you think. And so just a few minutes, you crank it up again. And you start fighting again. And as you're fighting, you swing around and look. And as you look, your mother is standing there in the door. The judge is at the door. Close by, seeing it all. It's interesting that James and his half-brother Jesus were the ones that used that description of Jesus coming again. That it's like a judge standing at the door. He's that close and it's going to happen that quickly. And if you say, how do you know it's going to happen that quickly? Well, how long do you plan on living? Let's just say that you can live the average lifespan and you can live into to your late 70s or early 80s. How long is that away? According to the previous chapter in James, that's still a vapor. That's a very short time. Now, according to Hebrews 9 and 27, what's going to happen right after your death? After death, you leave the realm of time and you step over into eternity where a thousand years is like a day. In other words, there is no time. So when will you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment? After you take your last breath, it's like that. You're out of the realm of time. It's not a long waiting game. So you say, when is judgment? How long are you planning to live? Or do you know when Jesus is coming again? It's that quick. The judge is standing at the door. And for those that their character, their life is all about living for him and they're going to persevere, it can't be soon enough. The children of God want the judge standing at the door because their sins have been forgiven and their righteousness is known as the righteousness of Christ. God's grace is supreme. His love is great. His mercy is rich. Let's skip to the very end. That phrase, as we consider James' death, as we consider James' death and we extend the invitation, did you notice there in James 5 and 9 what we just read? The judge is standing at the door. Historians say this. We don't know for certain. It's not in the Bible. But several historians declare that they have recorded, they know how James, he's oftentimes called the just, passed away. They said that he was mocked and ridiculed and then taken up into the temple to the pinnacle and thrown off, but it didn't kill him. And so they began to stone him. And while those that threw him off came down, he still hadn't died. And so they took a fuller's club and they beat him to death. But as they mocked him, here's what one historian says. One historian says, one of the mocking questions put to St. James by his enemies as they hurried him to death was, which is the door of Jesus? Failing to receive an answer, they said, let us stone this, James the just. So they threw him from the pinnacle of the temple after which he was beaten to death with a fuller's club. Can you imagine using his very own words as he wrote this epistle to mock him? Your judge is at the door. Where is he now? 
As if to say, if your judge was powerful, he wouldn't allow this conflict to come into your life, the conflict that we are about to kill you. And isn't it interesting that the judge was still standing at the door? And isn't it interesting that James was allowed to pass through very shortly? Listen, when we live our life in view of eternity, we have a different value system. We have a different strength and courage of endurance. We have not just a happy life, we have a meaningful life. And this morning, I hope that all of us have found it. And if not, I hope that we will never feel comfortable until we find that meaningful life. What can we do to encourage you? If you've never been immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, we'd love to do that with you this morning and assist you in that. Maybe you have become a Christian and along the way you've lost the way and you want to come back and you want to find your place living a life of endurance toward that great second coming of the Lord. If